Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening. You are listening to Radio Islam at WCEV 1450 AM Chicago. And I am your host, Tariq El Amin. Welcome back, Radio Islam family. It's been 24 hours. We're happy to have you with us again for this hour. As you know, we're a live call-in radio talk program, and we air every day from 6 to 7 p.m. Central. And we reach the world by streaming live at www.wcev1450.com. Remember, you can always log on to www.radioislam.com, even as it is under construction, to check out guest bios, programming, previous shows, articles, and a lot more. Now, if you haven't already done so, make sure that you're following us on social media. Twitter and Instagram, we're at the same handle, at Radio Islam USA. Be sure, if you're on Facebook, to like our page, Radio Islam. If you'd like to chime in to tonight's discussion, make a point or ask a question, give us a call at 312-750-1178. That is 312-750-1178. And for our Facebook listeners, you can post directly on our page uh, for our uh, in-studio guests if you've got a point that you would like to have interjected into our discussion tonight. So I'm going to begin our, our hour together, which we're already, I think, about six minutes into it. want to share a, a short hadith, uh, and a, a hadith for those who are not familiar with it is basically just a saying, a narration, that, we, uh, that is attributed to Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Peace and prayers be upon him. So, it is as follows. Abu Huraira reported, the messenger of Allah, peace and blessings be upon him, said, Verily, Allah does not look at your appearance or wealth, but rather he looks at your hearts and actions. This is, uh, the source is uh, Sahih Muslim uh, 2564. So, something for us to contemplate. Not all about our external appearance. It's not about you know our our material wealth, hearts and actions. Religion is sincerity, and we hope that all of our actions uh, maintain a sense of sincerity. So that being said, we're going to get into tonight's conversation. We have with us in studio Antonio Garcia. Uh, he has been combining, and he is from uh, the Protection for All movement. So just let me give you a moment, uh, give you a little bit of information about him. He's been combining his tech mind with his social change heart since he graduated with a degree in information and decision sciences. Currently, he devotes his time between teaching Latinx children how to code a new educational program focusing on immigrant entrepreneurship and pushing for immigrant rights with the Protection for All movement. The Protection for All movement is a group founded by directly affected immigrants to push for inclusive legislation which brings a legal status to the United States undocumented immigrants. A secondary goal of the group is to continue developing new leaders within the undocumented community to keep the movement both accurately and strongly represented. Antonio, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. All right. So, Many of our listeners, I don't want to make the assumption um, because there may because there may be one person that's tuned in right now that is not intimately familiar with this idea of uh, of DACA. Right. It's been in the news. Uh, Our president has taken a very clear stance, which is not necessarily not in favor 
of the undocumented, not in favor of those uh, those immigrants who are trying to matriculate into the uh, the system. So let's start with that deferred DACA deferred action. Um, was it deferred <laughs> action early childhood arrival? Yeah. So um, beginning with that, how has your work first? Would you tell us how how what what has been your path in, in, into activism? Sure. So immediately after graduating, which was in winter of 2011, um, DACA was not even existent. It wasn't even um, how do I put this? It wasn't even a passing thought in people's minds. So because of that, I um, I sought uh, an alternative but proper means to work, by which I mean um, doing um, contract work as a sole proprietor. Mm-hmm. Um, within that time, I also got into um, a bit of activism and advocacy by way of local immigration-based nonprofits. Okay. So through that, uh, I see one of the points that is brought up is to to develop the next crop of or the next uh, the next iteration of undocumented leadership that are that are bringing this cause uh, to the forefront there's a there is a a term that I think uh, you know as we're talking uh, off air that I think is really important for us to talk about and this idea of the term of, of dreamer Right, because it is most most associated with with DACA, with the undocumented uh, and Dreamer. W- would you share your thoughts on on this term? Is is it an accurate representation of uh, of those who are un- undocumented? Got it. <clears throat> well, as with any group, it must be said that undocumented that the undocumented community is by no means monolithic. Uh, the term dreamer is very divisive and limiting in the sense that it brings forth the idea of an overachieving high school or, you know, a bachelor's uh, degree age student who managed to succeed through all odds, um, you know, uh, does not get any in any sort of trouble, um, basically just has everything going for them. And while I'm very happy for the success of the people who do fall into that, it is a, a sp- splinter of the entire organization, I mean, of the entire uh, population. Um, The term dreamer, it basically, when I said divisive, it creates this idea of the deserving immigrant and the bad immigrant. And it's situations like that which cause for, which are leading towards this type of, um, how do I put this, exclusive legislation that is sometimes being proposed, uh, which essentially gives some limited rights to um, people who fit the dreamer role, but it also essentially sells out, if you will, uh, their parents and many people who may have committed a small mistake. So there is a there is a separation. I'm hearing two things. One is very similar to the idea of the model minority that a lot of the, uh, the Asian community, yes. that that label that was placed upon them, not giving room for uh, for the existence of you know the different shades uh, of existence, you know, painting them as, as a monolith. But I'm also hearing there's a conversation about that's not being had about the effects, the the human effect, in terms of separating families, 
how how does protection for all address that particular uh, concern? Well, uh, thank you for asking. So. Protection for All pushes for inclusive legislation. And by inclusive legislation, I mean that people, regardless of their status or what they have done, are worthy of some type of dignity and respect. Um, it would be unfair to throw our parents um, under the bus who, who how do I put this, gave up everything to come into this country, um, often you know, working menial jobs, you know, to secure that to secure better opportunities for us, and then just toss them aside. Um, we need clean legislation. We need a way of thinking that isn't the the concept of zero sum immigration in the sense that you know, you know, we get to the how do I put this? Documented youth in this situation isn't those who have DACA, or you know, the deserving immigrants get to stay, but our parents would be tossed out. It's not. It's not fair. It's not. How do I put this? It is not a way to do it with heart. Right, right. Uh, Radio Slam family, I have to make sure that I let you know that we have also on the mic tonight, joining me as co-host, the impressive Ibrahim Beg, um, who is actually producing tonight's show. Uh, so we want to make sure that we just wanted to give him the greetings. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. Good to be with you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Always. Um, the the next thing I, w- I would like to uh, point to is the idea that the, uh, the the Latinx community is often seen as the face of the undocumented. How is that? But the reality is, it you know we're we're talking about a lot of different uh, ethnic groups that comprise you know uh, the undocumented. Is that? awareness a part of the the coalition building or the work that's done uh, on the ground as far as uh, developing this this new crop of of leaders indeed it is um uh, there's this beautiful saying um that was running through my mind a little bit earlier in the sense that it says um if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together now more than ever is a time for this type of um for this type of unity uh popularly other groups uh, traditionally, other groups have almost been silent, for lack of a better word, and allowed uh, the Latinx community, particularly uh, the Mexican community, to take a lot of flack for this. However, um, it's it. Uh, how do you put this? Leadership is starting to develop from the sense of, um, for example, in the Philippines, uh, a popular term for um, for undocumented is uh, "tago un tago," which means hiding and hiding, as in like you're super duper hiding. And um, I understand the cause for fear that may cause for some that may result in somebody hiding, but this is not the time to cover your head and duck and hope that they don't see you. This is the time to be vocal and to show that this that um, reform is necessary. Um, by reform, I'm actually not referring to a comprehensive immigration reform. As lovely as that would be right now, we need to think of a pragmatic fashion in which we can start securing more rights and adjustment of status for immigrants. Um, with that being said, I'm glad to see that there's a lot of coalition building. Um, I was just at a retreat in which I met the founder of the Black Network, and it was fantastic to see that there was a lot more support, a lot of almost, uh, how do you put this, this universal sense of love and compassion that was shared among all the groups. And that's uh, and that's exactly what we need right now. So it, it makes sense, first of all, that those who are 
directly affected by the issue would, would definitely band together and be a support for one another. But on a larger scale, as a part of the, the human impact of it, uh, going beyond simply those who are directly affected, uh, we had, and, and I'm going to, uh, I'll preface this, this statement with this, we, we, we had um, Cook County State's Attorney, uh, State's Attorney Kimberly Fox in last week. And one of the things that she mentioned was how her office is working. Uh, they, they're trying to be a resource for the undocumented uh, to make sure that they can, you know, if they need legal assistance or if they have to report, you know, anything, that they have a space that they can do, that they, that they can go to. Because in these types of situations, the whole idea of hiding, uh, being undocumented and uh, being in, in these types of, um, in this with this atmosphere, it could pull folks who would normally be able to seek help or seek assistance or uh, report things to the police and put them in a position where they become victims. That being said, has the coalition building, has support gone outside of those who are directly affected? Has it gone to, uh, do you have support among the you know, the African-American community? Is there support among the, the, the white Methodists or Catholic or, you know, is the support, is it, is it broad-based or is it right now just those folks who are affected? That's a fantastic question because it raises the idea of allyship and what it means to be an ally. So having learned um, lessons from the 2010 um, instance of the DREAM Act, it is important for there to be a properly balanced dynamic in the sense that allies don't necessarily take over our space. It, um, while they may empathize, sympathize even, it is ultimately not their primary voice. Um, there are many ways in which allies can contribute. For example, there, there's resources, um, there's um, amplification of, of messaging. There, um, there are there are ways to support without necessarily being uh, without taking over, and I'm even personally thinking that in the sense that um, in the sense that I often taught uh, cohorts of women of color how to like how to uh, like make their own website, like start their own online store, like basically a lot of work in entrepreneurship, which actually rolls into that um, into that uh, initiative that you mentioned when introducing me, in the sense that like I am not a woman, I can be very close to my sisters and my mother, but I will never be able to firsthand experience. So in that situation, as the instructor of the class, I knew my place as lack of a better, as lack, as for lack of a better word, to simply create an environment, I mean, to allow for an environment of support and learning. And that lesson is what I wish for allies to internalize. It's not that we don't want them involved. It's simply that we wish to make sure that there is proper and accurate representation. That is a powerful point. Radio Islam family, if you are just tuning in, we're talking to Antonio Garcia of <clears throat> Protection for All. And we are talking about, uh, as, as you may have just heard if you just tuned in, the idea of allies within this. The question asked was, are there are there contingents of representation outside of those who are affected that are supporting this uh, this cause? And I think that was a 
that was a tremendously powerful point. Thank you. Uh, uh, so thank you, thank you so much for that. What What do you do? You have any input on that, Ibrahim? Well, I, th I don't <coughs> think I could say it any better myself. But um, I also wanted to ask about the future of DACA or anything else that might try to uh, replace it and substitute for it in the future. When Jeff Sessions made this announcement that DACA was being rescinded, and then uh, not too long after that, President Trump announced that he was negotiating with the Democrats to try to do something. Is there a sense, was there a sense after that announcement came of some type of negotiations happening that was there a kind of a sense of relief that okay maybe we're going to be out of the woods soon or was it kind of like skepticism or what was the feeling among the advocacy community at that time sure well first i must i must uh, preface that by saying that the immigrant community is by no means monolithic mm -hmm. there to put it in a simpler term there may be a spectrum of people's viewpoints um having been through the highs and lows of the uh, first instance of the dream act i met the i met the recent news with uh, healthy skepticism it sounds wonderful to hear you know that you know the democrats and the republicans have come to some sort of agreement however those directly affected were not at the table they were not in charge of making any of the decisions which is very concerning um DACA, the future of DACA is clearly at peril. We have about six months minus three weeks or so for a decision to happen. And now we seek, we push for a sense of unity, considering how there are a couple uh, bills act, um, a couple of bills out there. For example, um, there's the Succeed Act, which was recently proposed by the uh, by the Republicans. Um, there's uh, the Rock Act. There is the Dream Act, of course. And I worry that this will cause. Um, I worry that this will cause a lot of division within the groups. Um, I understand, from a logical standpoint, that some may feel the need to negotiate. However, there are some things that we should absolutely not accept. There's some, and there's some things that we should absolutely not uh, not give up. I, for example, I am not going to sell out um, a lot of the, a lot of the undocumented parents. I'm not going. I don't want us to continue in this uh, quasi status in which we're essentially renting our civil rights, you know, for two or three year terms. Well, now two, but I, I want to see something permanent, and I want to see something that can serve as a president. Because today it's documented youth, but tomorrow it's going to be, you know, maybe um, people who didn't quite fit that perfectly. Maybe tomorrow could be, um, you know. Um, somebody with like a very slight misdemeanor or something of the sort you know so i guess today documented youth tomorrow our parents and then those in the future you know uh antonio you mentioned something earlier in talking about the i guess the shades of gray that are left out with this idea of, of dreamer and the divisiveness you know by placing a value on the perfect the model immigrant versus the one like many people who have minor run-ins with the law, you know, misdemeanors, uh, those who, you know, we're talking small infractions. But there is not an effort to say that those people who have had these kind of infractions, that these are people that don't deserve to be here. 
um, and it's it it feels it feels rather rather harsh when you when you think about it like that, as if to say, well, you're here, but we're going to place an expectation on you that is, you know, depending on your circumstance, uh, may may just it just may not be realistic. Um, uh, the other thing that, that I want to to mention is that. Do you feel that there's a sense of urgency amongst those affected, but amongst our legislators, when the president gave basically six months to enact some type of legislation, some comprehensive immigration reform uh, that would cover those uh, quarter million, uh, over a quarter million that have been um, under the you know purview of DACA, um, do you think that He's really just waiting for the inevitable to happen, and that is for that six months to be up, and then we're we're in a a, a, a much more dire situation than we are right now. <clears throat> I very much believe that those who propose the idea of a six month um, dying out process, if you will, I'm sorry, I said quarter. I meant three quarters. <laughs> it's, it's closer to seven hundred eighty thousand. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No worries. <laughs> uh, so I very much believe that those who proposed that six-month uh, dying out process knew that there was going to be a lot of um, infighting, for lack of a better word. Many bills, many different, uh, many different views, in which case um, passes the blame, if you will, you know, towards Congress by saying, well, you know, I gave you the opportunity. We didn't um, – uh, but you didn't come to, come to a decision, which is um, – a very similar tactic that happened during the Obama administration. Right. So, but with that being said, losing DACA, while tragic, and we should do everything we can to push for not only keeping DACA, but for something better, I would like for people, particularly the youth who have never experienced working inside of DACA, to know that there are other opportunities. You can very legitimately incorporate as your own business, and, um, you know, there are many advantages to being a business and being to incorporating, you know, there's like the legal separation, you know, heck, there's even like, a, there's even tax breaks for it. Like, for a lot of people who want to achieve their dreams in the non-traditional way in which you interview at a company and get hired and build your way there, you can essentially pave your own road to success through entrepreneurship. And even that, that's something that I would give, that's advice that I would give to somebody who was born here. Um, through every crisis, there is some form of opportunity. So I don't want people who are concerned over the loss of DACA to be in total despair. Hmm. Well, that is a very good point. Um, for those of you once again... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I just remembered this other point. Mm-hmm. It almost... Once we lose the fear of losing DACA, um, we're able to think in a more strategic and calm manner in the sense that... Um, you know, it, it won't be, you know, waved over our heads, if you will, you know, as an instant way of getting us to um, to be subservient. You know, if we can find a way to think outside or post DACA, we can have, we can continue with a sense of agency. Right. Okay. Thank you so much. If you'd like to give us a call, if you'd like to pose a question or give a comment to our guest and studio guest, Antonio Garcia, you give us a call at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. But we're going to break for just a 
quick a quick break and we will be back this is radio islam Kids are coming to the forest, and it's up to us to make their visit a good one. Sparrow, have you practiced the most popular bird songs for the year? Of course. Catchy. I like it. River, how's the temperature? It's a refreshing 52 degrees, man. I love it. Uh, Turtle. He's not here yet, man. He's late every morning. Okay. Squirrel. The forest has been preparing just for you. To learn more about cool things to do in the forest, visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. I knew I was stuck at this kid's house for the night, but those guys snuck up on me to try and pull the hand in a bowl of warm water trick. Well, that was enough for me. I went downstairs to sleep in the basement, even though it was pitch black. I left my sleeping bag upstairs, and that was a mistake, because it was freezing. I think it was probably the longest night of my life. To read more about the sleepover, check out Diary of a Wimpy Kid, The Last Straw by Jeff Kenny. Explore new worlds and check out more cool books at your local library. And visit read.gov, brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Radio Islam, the nation's first daily live call-in talk radio show produced by Muslims for the mainstream market. Radio Islam, on the air since 2004 because of your generosity. Radio Islam salutes its most valuable asset, you, our listener. From our producers to our interns, we appreciate your support. Thank you. This is Radio Islam, WCEV 1450 AM, and I'm your host, Tariq al with uh, today's co-host and engineer extraordinaire, Ibrahim Baig, our in studio, yes, that's right, I interrupted your, your greeting. <laughs> uh, our in studio guest is Antonio Garcia of Protection for All, and we've been talking about DACA, we've been talking about the work that they do that he does one of the things that we left off before the break the idea of agency um, agency through entrepreneurship and I think that's that is a very I think that's a very critical point I'd like to explore that uh, a bit more is that something that you find uh, because the, the term dreamer uh, we've established is most often associated with those who are college bound, you know, looking, seeking uh, traditional degrees. But the agency one can find or success one can find through entrepreneurship. Um, has that been, was there like a, a, a light bulb that went off for you uh, to, to realize that? Um, and if so, how have you, how have you um, transmitted uh, that, that, that awareness on? Sure. So <clears throat> the idea of entrepreneurship was actually presented to me uh, right upon uh, graduation. Mm-hmm. And having been in a relatively entrepreneurial family, it did not seem so out of this world to me. I remember when I was in college, I was helping out my parents with this uh, fascinating business in which they would sell uh, organic mesquite lump charcoal, mm-hmm. which, uh, yeah, I, it's, yeah I, I wouldn't have expected it, but 
that's the beauty of entrepreneurship. Sometimes you get these ideas that nobody, not nobody, but that are not terribly popular. But if they're marketed correctly, if they're handled well, they could very much be brought into the mainstream, especially with foodie culture. Mm-hmm. Um, with that being said, um, I'm actually helping out my mother right now. She, uh, she, um, she is a trained seamstress, and she, she wants to sell clothing online. So it's very nice to see that there's this spirit of, uh, I'm not going to wait for a job to come to me. I will instead create it. Right. So with that being said, I um, now I'm taking those uh, those life lessons that I've gotten from my parents, and um, the classes that I formerly taught for uh, for some nonprofits um, as well as general assembly, on how to get people up and running with uh, entrepreneurship as well as uh, modern tools for entrepreneurship, especially when nowadays you can essentially make money while you're not at the office through you know by the virtue of like having an online store or by you know, scheduling services via some sort of web tool. You know, it's 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 amazing, even in, from the last 20 years, you know, how much more we can accomplish with such small equipment. And that's the kind of empowerment that I want the, the immigrant community to continue feeling. You know, that really brings to mind something that uh, Honorable, the, uh, Honorable Elijah Muhammad, who is the of the Nation of Islam, uh, one of the phrases that was uh, attributed to him and was uh, an identifier of the movement was do for self. You know, utilize your own agency, your own ability. Uh, and, you know, we saw within within the, the, this community, we saw things like, you know, bean pies and, and uh, I think it was uh, steak and takes and you know, just businesses that were that that came up out of the community uh, and were run by the community. So I, I think that is a that's a, that's a tremendous that's a tremendous thing uh, an awareness to have uh, for any community. You mentioned the idea of of marketing. You know, being able to market your business, and I think this also applies to. And you, you would I'd like to hear what you think about this. This also applies to marketing causes and marketing ideas so as an idea this idea of of of, of getting comprehensive immigration uh, reform this idea of humanizing or showing the 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 complexities the variances within the immigrant community you know that are affected by DACA how does or or does protection for all take on that part uh, the marketing aspect of that you know, in terms of, of of public awareness, but also influencing policymakers. Sure. <clears throat> well, part of the idea of um, the emotional push by protection for all, which as mentioned before, is not only to break away from the divisive. How do I put this? From the divisive uh, messaging that comes from that, but it's also to show that fundamentally everybody's worthy of some type of decency and respect. Um, tying this back into the idea of entrepreneurship, this is a chance for people's agency to be shown first and foremost. So, for example, when we are introduced as uh, dreamers, it basically says that we're primarily defined by our lack of some type of status, which is essentially dehumanizing. You know, so for example, I mean, for example, like I am Antonio, I am an instructor, I am a coder. I am. I, I have two cats. You know, like there's so many other different ways to, <laughs> you know, like to know me by than 
simply by my lack of, you know, of, of immigration papers. Yeah. And that's the type of uh, messaging that we're trying to show. You know, if, if one were to, and I, I know the, the spirit that the framers of this, you know, of this idea and the legislation that was, was trying to be pushed in 2010, um, I know the spirit behind it, using the term dreamer. But to your point, it also, it also paints a picture of someone who is not rooted in actually doing anything. Um, you know, that, that everything, you know, it's all about what might happen, the potential uh, of what could be, as opposed to th- those who are, are working. And I think that, that's sort of what I'm hearing. I, is that a correct, would, would you say that's a, a correct kind of interpretation uh, of, of what you're saying? <clears throat> Indeed. I, I, uh, it seems that we agree in the idea of um, people being not defined in, in the sense that we can only define ourselves, but in the sense that our efforts, our intelligence, our agency is what is, what is being presented first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And anything else, anything other than that is dehumanizing. You know, it's interesting. The, the hadith... The hadith that we opened up the the show with was, you know, that uh, that God does not look at our wealth, you know, uh, the the external trappings, but He looks at our sincerity. Uh, so our sincerity as human beings is is often overlooked, and we look at how do we add to the bottom line. But even within that, there have been studies, um, and we'll need to locate them. But there have been studies that look at the economic impact of the loss of those who fall under the category of undocumented. And, uh, and it's, it's substantial, you know, as far as the, 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 the jobs that are held, the services that are provided. So even, even, even looking at things for, in that light, you know, what do you add to the bottom line? There is a contribution. There very much you is. And that's very important to mention. Um, I have these um, these facts in front of me because I'm actually presenting um, that entrepreneurship initiative that I mentioned to uh, some potential funders tomorrow. Okay. So, with what you mentioned is that how do I put this? What you mentioned ties into the idea that, uh, for example, uh, Latin, according to a 2016 um, study, which is uh, the state of Latino entrepreneurship, it's uh, from 2016 by the Stanford graduates. School of Business. It's that um, Latinx businesses, and I'm saying that because that's um, I'm speaking on behalf of my own community. I'm speaking on behalf of what I know. It sure. also goes to the idea that I'm, I try to be very sensitive about um, not speaking for others, but it's it's more of us representation. I want sure. to, point of the matter is the idea is that uh, Latinx businesses have strong immigrant representations. So about forty to fifty percent of larger firms, which um, tend to be like higher revenue and higher employee and a higher uh, employee count are indeed immigrant-owned. So there's this beauty, if you will, that comes from the un- naturally entrepreneurship, I mean, entrepreneurial spirit of immigrants. I mean, especially when you consider the fact that they left everything they've known. You know, they knowingly went off knowing that they may never see their family again um, to start something new. And to be able to fight through that pain, it really shows a lot of... Um, but it's a lot of uh, emo- a lot of strength inside. Absolutely, absolutely. So often, the most vulnerable are the elderly, 
and the very young in any community, any demographic, regardless of their uh, citizenship. So among the undocumented, is there a particular sentiment that you uh, that you have observed within your own community among the, the very young? Uh, are, are, what is their awareness like, or are they aware of the, the, the current climate that they're in? Sure. Um, by uh, the very young, does that include those who were born here, or does that simply include, or does that also include... Um, uh, those who came here at a young age and are still young. Uh, I would say I would say right. Well, that that's two two different questions, right? Because those who came here at a young age might be a bit older right now. They could be over, you know, twenty five years old or whatever. Um, first, I, I would ask you to address the 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 grammar school age. You know, those uh, those who yeah, those who grammar school to high school students right now. Sure. So, <clears throat> speaking uh, from my own experiences. Uh, one of the first things that um, our teachers, especially those who were also Latinx, um, kept reminding us was that a strong work ethic and a strong uh, and a strong uh, sense of um, achieving education is very helpful towards uh, success. And I very much distinctly recall them saying is very helpful because they were also very pragmatic about the difficulty that already comes from um, being a person of color, particularly one of those, one, um, a, person of, uh, a vulnerable person of color. So growing up, we've had this immense pressure from our families, um, even you know, down to the explicit reminders of saying, you know, we sacrifice all of this so that we can give you the opportunity. Do your best, don't, uh, don't let us down, but most importantly, don't let yourself down. Um, you don't risk through all of that to simply to simply survive. You risk everything so you can thrive. Right. So there's a there's a pressure which which really sounds very familiar to me. You know, as an African American, as a black man here uh, in the United States, and that has always been from you know from my childhood and. Uh, you know, I've heard older people say that you've got to be twice as good to get the same thing, right? Very much. And uh, yeah, so yeah, so that that is exactly that's exactly what I thought of. You know, as you're saying this, so it almost leaves very little room for for those variances in a way, right? Because it's to say that you can't afford to to have those minor infractions. You can't afford to get caught up in the system. You can't afford to be the dropout. You know, you have to, it almost, you're almost superimposed with this idea of that, that model minority, you know? Indeed. Um, uh, what, you, uh, what you said about your, um, the quote that you mentioned about your family, it very much resonates because there's always this, um, it's almost a warning. It's almost spoken with fear. You know, there's this, you know, being bluntly told that there's this double standard mm-hmm. that the road to success is not, and our situation is, doesn't quite feel like a paved road, but rather, you know, almost like walking along a tightrope. Right. And there's so many variables that can cause some type of uh, imbalance to, well, fall, if we're, you know, to go along with that imagery. Yeah. And that kind of pressure is rooted with negative reinforcement, which tends to be unhealthy, tends to be somewhat detrimental, which also ties into the idea of... Um, 
mental, the idea of mental health within the undocumented community, and overlaps also with the idea of mental health within um, within uh, communities of color. Yes, yes. So, would you answer, or is the answer similar? Because I know I asked you to, to address the the younger group that grammar school to high, to high school. Is it a different pulse? Is it a different uh, reality for those who may have just may have come here as children and are now older? Sure, uh, <clears throat> there are many overlaps. However, um, there's always that very critical time in which somebody discovers their uh, lack of immigration status. Um, you know, usually it's done um, well, usually through driver's ed in high school, in which they realize that there's some sort of reason that is barring them from having a driver's license. I mean, mind you, this has changed for a little bit because of DACA, but with the peril in which DACA is facing, you know, we may revert back to that. And going back to the idea of mental health, like this also within many people in the situation causes this, not that I'm trying to speak for others, but I will instead speak for myself. It almost creates like this inferiority complex, you know, thinking maybe there's some sort of larger reason as to why I'm not deserving of this. Maybe there's something wrong with me. And it very much limits the idea of success because we're so used to the concept of uh, surviving. But it's, you know, just like with any concept, there are so many variables. Right. And once again, I'm so happy for those who managed to fit, who to succeed and fit into the idea of the uh, model minority, but it's not a healthy path. Um, I said it a couple times, and I'll say it again: we are all deserving of dignity and respect. All right. There's a, uh, I think there's a correlation you mentioned with regard to marketing. You, you know, you marketing the idea of agency. You know, through entrepreneurship. Um, this, this current climate that we're in right now is one that has been created and allowed to exist by those who make policy, our, our legislators, who by and large don't look like the people that they represent. Or they just, they look like, you know, for the, I mean, we can basically, you know, say we have the, the majority, the vast majority of our, uh, the, the Senate House representatives, you know, they are, uh, they're white men. And to have a society where you have so many you know, so much uh, variance in, you know, in ethnicity and, and, and backgrounds and, um, you know, just the demographical differences that we have. But our representation does not reflect that. So once again, I go back to, is there a concerted push for marketing to those people who are making policy? You know, how do you, how do you get that message uh, to, to folks who may not understand because they haven't walked, you know, th that path, right? They may be compassionate, but it, it just might not be that, you know, they're not as sensitized. How do you market it to them in a way where it does become like this is something that we have to get done? Sure. Um, <clears throat> you brought a very good point about um, how a lot of the representation is not entirely accurate. I mean, even outside of politics, you know, if there isn't proper representation of uh, ethnicity and gender, it's just, it's going to lead towards uh, inaccurate representation. Uh, so with that being said, 
I understand that early on, uh, during the uh, first instance of the DREAM Act, a lot of the ways that were used to try and appeal to these policy makers was to show that we are, um, you know, we are, uh, we are those who do good, we are those who are very much American by everything except uh, documentation. But more so than that, uh, now that we've outgrown the young dreamer concept, a lot of it is to show uh, through storytelling, through, um, through advocacy, through local politics, to show that we're very much a part of this community and that we will have a voice, we do have a voice, um, despite the lack of, um, despite the fact of, despite the lack of, uh, I guess your standard voting slip. Right. Um, while voting is very much important, there are also many other ways in which one can um, voice their opinions. Right. And I'm very glad to see that type of um, mindset um, very much gaining traction. Have you had Have you had discussions? We mentioned yesterday. Uh, this term echo chamber, you know, yeah, so th- that that's a reality for, for our listeners who may not be familiar with the term. It basically it, it just means that you are you are preaching to the choir, or you you look at news or you 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 get news that supports your views, right? So on an issue like this, is there conversation that is going across the line where you're talking with people who have viewpoints that are anti-immigrant, uh, that are anti, um, for the lack of a better word, we're just going to say dreamer, right? Are you having those kind of conversations? And if so, you know, uh, how fruitful are they? <clears throat> That's a fantastic question because proper discourse is very important for the sake of a any civilization. Right. With that being said, it's also about the mindset of both parties involved. If you are going to enter this discourse without opening your heart and your mind, it will basically be a one-person echo chamber. It basically, it's basically just two people constantly repeating their own points rather than a proper conversation. Right. Uh, with that being said, um, there are efforts to speak to the other side. Because more so, how do you put this? The way I see it, a lot of anti-immigrant rhetoric is rooted in some other type of fear. I I understand that it's it's very scary, for example, to lose the job you know that you've been holding for so long. However, it's not it's not an immigrant that took your job. You know, it may be um, like the result of automation. It, just, it may simply be the case of somebody of the job you know needing somebody else, or you know. Or maybe some like the specialty has changed. You know, it's not. You can't blame. You can't blame people for um, for the world for the way the world has been changing. I do empathize. I really do, especially considering the fact that we're in the Midwest, and you know, as soon as you leave Chicago, you know, there are many manufacturing jobs. There are many uh, like. I mean, for example, um, I come from the suburbs, in which you know we're not going to have we're not going to see a lot of those like high paying like. For example, tech jobs. You know, you're, you're still going to see a lot of like, uh, I don't know, like a lot of retail, a lot of like distribution, and it's changing. And I understand change is scary, but instead of blaming others, we can we can work through this together. You know, I, I like 
I appreciate you mentioning the, the, the fear that people have that doesn't always come out as fear, it comes out as, you know, as anger. But it, it seems that it leaves, like there's a need for a larger conversation um, around how we got to where we are because there's, there, there's always been a scapegoat. You know, if you look at uh, our, you know, there's, there's a lot of rhetoric around reforming our tax code so that we can attract more of our businesses back, um, businesses that were here, industries that were here. But because of a global economy, uh, they're, they're open and, you know, they're free to go and set up shop elsewhere and pay wages that they can't pay here. So there is a, you know, there is a natural, I shouldn't say a natural, but there is, there is an abuse of other people, of other communities around the world, um, you know, giving them less than they would give, you know, here. But at the same time, what they do is they leave a hole and they point to fill in the blank, right? Indeed. So um, would you agree that that should be a part of the conversation as to look at how we got here? Because I know that uh, the, like NAFTA and their other trade agree- agreements that have had just truly adverse effects on uh, communities or, or economies uh, in, in Mexico and in, in, uh, in other areas that have just depressed economies and, and been, a, uh, been a push for migration. So do you think that should be a part of the conversation? Or do you p- think people have the, the, the attention span to actually have that conversation? I do not wish to underestimate um, the attention span for like, or um, I guess the intelligence of the average person. Um, and I, I struggle with this sometimes too in the sense that I must acknowledge that as a human, I am both a rational and an emotional being. Right. Now, with regards to the um, idea of this tax reform in an attempt to woo businesses back, it sounds, it's very short term in the sense that it's going to bring back businesses, but it's not going to allow, but it's going to not create a healthy environment for smaller businesses to develop here. We're not recreating our own power. You know, we're simply trying, I mean, we're not creating our own power. It's simply trying to like get back um, almost a shell of what it used to be before. The economy is global and there's no going back. I mean, nobody weeps for the grandfather clockmakers. I mean, as, as beautiful as they are, I do enjoy good furniture. <laughs> <laughs> With that being said, you know, um, yeah. the world is changing and we must adapt. Um, so I, I'm very skeptical of the idea of um, lower taxes, if you will, being used to bring back people because somebody has to pay those taxes. And it seems illogical for me to, well, for the average person to to cover the taxes of large organizations for the privilege, if you will, of working for of working this uh, job, which is all which is going to if if it's not already dying, it's sometime sooner or later it will be automated. Right. You know. So it's everything takes a long time. Everything worthy takes a long time to fix. For example, um, I'm very close to the idea of technology in the sense that like. Um, the world of manufacturing is changing. Right. 
for example, um, when I teach kids um, how to code, I teach them much more than code. I also teach them the idea of like uh, of digital manufacturing. So I make sure that they understand the idea of 3D printing or of like CNC machines to show that. Um, and that kind of thinking is very much going to change a lot of the way uh, manufacturing is done. A lot of it can be done more locally sourced. A lot of it can be, uh, a lot of it is very different. Um, even with uh, driverless cars, for example, I, it's not that the trucking industry is necessary, necessarily dying. It's simply changing. And even then, there's, there will always be a way to create jobs because through every crisis, there will be some sort of opportunity. So with self-driving cars, they will, you know, there will, there will, new jobs will open up on every end of the spectrum. You know, you'll need coders, you'll need engineers, you will need like people who main, who maintain it. You know, um, even people, even like uh, like supervisors for that, if you will. Like, change can be good if you have the initiative, if you will, to adapt to it. Yeah, and also we're talking about forecasting and picking up the skills today that are going to serve you tomorrow. I um, once again I also appreciate, uh, and I, I I made the comment um, with the hopes that you would <laughs> respond as you did, uh, that we do have to have faith that the the average person has the capacity to to take in and weigh information. Uh, and go beyond just being emotional. Um, and I know that's definitely the, the listeners that, that we have. Um, Antonio, we, we thank you so much for, for coming on and, and sharing some of your perspective. Um, is there, first I would like to ask, is there, um, is there a way that our listeners can keep up with you or support uh, Protection for All? Absolutely. Well, for starters, I want to thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, to learn more about the Protection for All movement, uh, follow us on Facebook, uh, where we are most active. We will soon be launching a website mm-hmm. made by yours truly. And um, <laughs> so uh, uh, look up uh, Protection for All Movement on Facebook. And that is where we have um, all of our current news. And that way you can stay up to date with our um, advancements. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, you have been listening to Radio Islam. Uh, we'd like to just say thank you again for spending this hour with us. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow night at 6. We've got some dynamic young performers, uh, spoken word artists that will be joining us. Uh, the executive, well, I'm not going to start there. I'll start with the producer of tonight's show has, and, and the engineer and the co-host, the impressive one, Ibrahim Baig. Uh, I'm your host, Tariq Alameen. Uh, the executive producer of Radio Islam is Abdul Malik Mujahid. Uh, our engineer is Ibrahim. Leonard, Leonard, all right, Leonard's on the job again. Thank you, Leonard. Um, oh, let's always keep in mind, Radio Slime is a Sound Vision production. Views expressed are those of the hosts and guests, not of the Sound Vision Foundation. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow night. I leave you as I greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.